there's not a lot of uh, investigating on, you know, thinking about quality mm. um, of those relationships and what those relationships really look like and feel like versus quantity. I think it looks really hot and sexy and fun to have a bajillion partners and like <laughs> them and stuff like that and going on vacation or, you know what I mean? And kind of all of those sexy parts, those visible parts of yeah. non-monogamy polyamory. Episode 10. <laughs> Double figures, baby. Double we have such a good episode today. Yeah. I'm so excited. Our guest is phenomenal. Sarah Young Blood Gregory. She's absolutely incredible. We have such an interesting discussion with her. Oh, it's so good. And she's so smart and just like just amazing. She just has such interesting ideas. So Really excited to bring that to you all today. Yeah. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be intellectually inspiring. That's, oh. that's my I review. thought you were going to use the word stimulating. Oh, yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> um, yeah. But first. Super, super fun. But first, let's do some, some housekeeping. What do you... When people say, oh, some housekeeping, I like... That phrase always interests me because I'm like, huh, like I know what it is. You know, I quite find it, I find it quite funny actually when people say housekeeping, instead of housekeeping, they say like some parish notices. <laughs> I love it because like I grew up the in a Catholic the family. The community notice board yeah. for the secular, the and secular like, of us. Well, I grew up in the, in like a, um, in a Catholic family. So we'd go to mass every Sunday and they'd have the whole mass. And then before the priest got up to do the final prayer and to walk out, there'd be like the lady who or the person who would sort of welcome you to the mass and it would be like, oh, yes, and now Carolyn with the parish notices. And then she'd stand up with a clipboard and read on the microphone like um, little church will not be running over the Christmas holidays and there's donation. You can donate your clothes here and, you know, uh, Mel and Chris are having the 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 statue of, of Mary at their house, so you can go to their place with rosemary uh, for the rosary. You know, check their like check check the for, ask them for their address or whatever. Like, so whenever say parish notice is actually just quite that's quite funny. So we've got the thank you for that insight into, <laughs> your, into your upbringing. That was wonderful. So some poly parish notices. Some yeah okay, we're not going to make that a thing. No no. Um, <laughs> No, we're definitely uh, not. So we did a thing with another, with a, a different podcast that we love. Yes. Called Gayish. And Hosted by Mike Johnson Mike, and Kyle Getz. Mike and Kyle. And um, it was great. Yeah. It was really wonderful discussion. They asked us about polyamory and all that jazz. Honestly, if you've never listened to Gayish, your life is missing something. Yeah. Um, trust me. Go, go and listen to it. Uh, we actually did a thing with them called Spotlight, which is available on their Patreon for free. Um, you don't have to pay anything. But if you want to listen to our discussion with Mike and Kyle, then head over to their, well, I guess search Gayish. Patreon. Yeah. Patreon. Or if you've got the app for other podcasts. Yeah. Um, you may have see, you've already seen that we posted it on Instagram anyway. And I think there's a link to it via there anyway. So. If you're just still on Twitter or X. 
we've also got there's a link in our feed there as well but it's such a fun discussion and we're so yeah. grateful for, to them for having us on so check them out as well and yeah listen to us talk yeah. about polyamory and non-monogamy and they're really great guys and yeah. to be honest they inspire us a lot in, with mm-hmm. the way that we produce mm-hmm. our podcast and you know how we conduct ourselves in that in that way so if you like us then you will like them yes moving swiftly on <laughs> do you have something to, to to mention before um before i mention my thing <laughs> before we discuss the responses to our latest yeah yeah i can um well I just want to talk a little bit about our guest today and, and her book. Um, so her Sarah Youngblood, Gregory's book, as we'll kind of discuss a little bit in the pod today, is called The Polyamory Workbook and it is absolutely brilliant. You can get it online if around the world and there's like all book retailers if you're – she's in the US. So if you're in the US, you can get it at like Barnes & Noble and apparently a number of other bookstores. We got ours online because we're in the UK. I think it's been seen in Waterstones yeah. in the UK. Um, and I think it's been it's been seen in, in Amsterdam and Paris. So it's yeah. out there. It's for, out there internationally. That, yeah. I mean, we are an international podcast now. So, you know, yeah. um, so we need to kind of let them know. Argentinian listener, if you're still <laughs> listening, uh, I can't help you. I don't know what your books are. I can't are help you there. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to sort of talk a little bit briefly about her book. Uh, obviously, we've read it and done some of the exercises in it. And I honestly think it's such a important resource. It's so helpful. It really facilitates discussion, like internal, um, internal discovery, and then also discussion with your partners um, and makes really important distinctions about boundaries and agreements and rules and the difference between those and, you know, vetting processes and really goes deep into all of these things that are quite important in non-monogamy. And also, like, there was things that I didn't know that existed that I thought, oh, that's interesting and I should read about that a bit more. And it's just a really, really helpful resource. It wasn't – it didn't exist when we opened our relationship and I would have loved to have it when we did because it, it just – would be it would have been so helpful i mean even having been in an open relationship for long enough now like coming up on two years it was still super helpful for both of us and i just can't recommend it enough checking it out and doing some of those exercises by yourself and then also with a partner or just by yourself if you don't have partners or you're more solo poly or relationship anarchist and yeah i just can't recommend it enough so definitely go and check it out for every, everyone no matter your your sort of orientation i suppose yeah can't can't agree more the other thing i really like about sarah is that she's she rejects the word expert which i just think is i mean her reasoning for it i think we talk about yeah yeah we we talk about it so you'll you'll hear all about this shortly but um just as a precursor to that discussion I, i i really love that aspect of her because it's it's basically completely like there's no pretension whatsoever there's no it's very much like i understand that we're all always learning about something Mm. and really if you if you feel like you've got to the pinnacle the the pinnacle of what you can learn then it's it's kind of a bit arrogant and it kind of leads you maybe down down a road into a into a closed mindset which is never a good place to be especially when it's something as explorative as polyamory you know 
this is the thing and as dynamic as human beings i mean if you think you've learned everything about something you're probably wrong i mean scientists (laughs) now scientists now in the in the you know in the physics world are just discovering i knew you were going to manage to bring this up somehow discovering a fifth force (laughs) you know like another force that they didn't know previously um what it what it was i mean but they haven't actually discovered it yet but they're very close to discovering it so in a way you know there you go like we think we know everything we don't we We don't we know nothing about anything so anyway uh i wanted to talk about the the um the the most recent poly poll Oh, yeah, from um, last week. Yeah. So those of you who will have listened will know that last week we spoke about what does casual even mean? And Fuck. when someone says they want a casual relationship, what do they mean? And we really enjoyed discussing it. We've had some really interesting feedback from people, so it's been really fun to get people's thoughts. And mm-hmm. one of the questions that we asked, and we said we were going to do a poll on in ep- last week's episode or last time's episode, was about what word could you use other than casual to describe a quote casual relationship and we've got some really cool and interesting responses so rich is just going to share a couple of them now yeah so i've got i've picked picked out three which i thought were particularly interesting uh and probably probably to be honest like the more slightly more common ones and then with the exception of one of them which i think we only we didn't get many but saying this but i thought it was particularly interesting yeah but to start off we'll Low-key was the first one. That's L-O-W-K-E-Y. Not the god of mischief. Um, Although that would also be pretty cool. Like a mischievous relationship. Like a (laughs) low-key relationship. Low-key, yes. Yeah. Uh, Thoughts? I, yeah. Low-key, you know, like, I think that something can be low-key, but still really meaningful, Mm. you know. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate it. At all. Yeah. I mean, I've got some low-key friendships that I very much, uh, you know, cherish. So. Absolutely. Not a bad one. Yeah. Or if you go to like a, like a low-key wedding, it's still like really meaningful. It's still an important wedding. It's still an important celebration. Yeah. Yeah. So I like it. Yeah. 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 So that was, uh, that's one of them. Thank you for everyone that, that suggested Said that. that one. The other ones are, I'm just going to double check my notes because i'm terrible uh, relaxed a relaxed relationship a relaxed relationship who are you doing there i suppose you like i don't know it's just a tiny little like you. someone from spinal tap it sounds like it's someone from spinal tap nigel tufnell yeah sounds like nigel tufnell. a relaxed relationship i'm gonna stop trying yeah. to do rich accents um yeah i mean but i also would say i like, I would say that our relationship is relaxed. Well, this is it, right? This is but it. But it's not. Like, I, I think I think it could I think it could be used in other contexts as well as that. And, like, yeah. actually, I, I don't hate it either. I just think you could use... It's like, oh, it's quite a relaxed relationship. I would say relaxed is probably opposite to serious or intense, potentially. So, yeah. I, I think... Yeah, I think it's a good option. One thing I've learned from this poll mm. is that there really is no yeah. good alternative to casual. Mm. But what the third, the third and final suggestion by mm. someone, which I think is the best one, because and, and I think it also is summed up by the last quote card that, we, that I posted <laughs> for Instagram. Um, it's summed up well by that as well. And that is literally just 
a relationship. Yeah. And um, I said in the episode, mm-hmm. we probably both said in the episode, and 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 is the the final quote that like we we sort of posted for our little Instagram promos, um, which was uh, <laughs> at the end of the day. It, a relationship is a relationship casual or otherwise it doesn't make it doesn't matter you need to treat them as such so uh you need to treat with them with respect and so yeah, yeah. I, so, I agree so with that. our relationship is yep is all that really matters and do we really need to qualify yeah well qualify. that's the thing i think like you know if you I think that, again, it's really helpful to apply sort of like a spectrum thinking to this kind of thing and see if relationships exist on a continuum rather than in boxes, like they're casual or they're, you know, serious or mm-hmm. intense or it's like, no, I think it's just like they exist on a continuum and we sort of said this last week as well. Like, mm-hmm. I love that that person just suggested like, you know, whoever that you are, if you're listening, great suggestion. Thank you for, you know, sharing that with us because it's, it just highlights that it's like all relationships are relationships with people mm-hmm. and have, and sometimes defining them can be really helpful. It's just like any label can be really helpful, can like help people find an understanding or communicate something to another person, but they can also be restrictive and using it at be- in the way that best suits you. And in this case, best suits your relationship or your connection with someone, you know, that's the yeah. that's the best thing. Well, I also really. think that you know you could say you could use the I mean, like you could I guess you could add in front of relationship whatever the the prominent feature of that relationship is. So mm. if it is a se- purely sexual relationship, then you can be like, well, it's a you know primarily sexual relationship or a primarily emotional relationship yeah. or a primary romantic relationship. Um, yeah, like you could do that if you wanted to, but once again, doesn't really matter. Well, that's right. And I think Doesn't everyone, you know, will use labels and things as best as they can to suit themselves. And it's just nice to sort of have a little exercise to think about what is different and, and how we could change that maybe. Yeah. It's just interesting and it's really nice to get the thoughts of our listeners. So yeah. thanks, guys. Well, thanks for the feedback all. Um, Love it. Uh, Keep it coming. Yes. 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 Oh, also on the, on the <laughs> feedback note, uh, I'm loving some of the comments on um, a reel that we did, f- well, over a month ago now. That's done yeah, particularly well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the feedback, it's been just really lovely to hear, especially when we've had a little bit of sort of, not hate as such, but just ignorance being on put on some, display. Some, you know, potentially uh, ignorant grumbles in the comments. Yes. <laughs> and... Uh, some people, whether they're listeners or just people that follow us, honestly, like, props to you guys out there, because uh, you, you say you say it, you respond better than, you know, as good as, if not better than we ever could. And to be honest, I don't want to be drawn into a debate with people, um, because it's um, it's just not really worth our time. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know whether it's not worth our time. I feel like there is it's not the right forum but yeah i think I mean. like there's always a time and a place to stand up for yourself and and share information but and if there's an opportunity to educate yeah if possible and yeah. i mean there's so many factors that feel like feed into that like people have to be willing to listen to you and all yeah. those sorts of things yeah. as well but i think like for me what's been really nice 
looking at those comments is just seeing that there's like a nice little sense of community in all of mm-hmm. our on all of mm-hmm. our posts and um, comments and people writing into us there's a really nice sense of community there and it's just so heartwarming when you might get a, a comment where people are having a go at you for being unethical or, you know, greedy or, you know, ungodly, I think was one of the comments and, and, you know, people just sort of really tearing you down and, and being not particularly respectful. And then there's people who are perfect strangers to us and we're perfect strangers to them. And they sort of come to the rescue and, and sort of correct the narrative or just like sort of clap back. And it's just really nice to see that there is a community there and, Mm -hmm we can experience that alongside everyone else. And that feels really nice that we, that there are people out there sometimes. And I'm sure a lot of non-monogamous folk can relate to this where sometimes it does feel like you're the only ones in the whole world who are non-monogamous and everyone around you is, and everyone around you says the same sort of microaggressions or just outright sort of distasteful comments. And when you see people online who respond in exactly the same way that we would it just feels really yeah. nice yeah it feels like everyone's on the same you know on the same page everyone's united um I mean, uh, one thing i really love about about th- these in- interactions on instagram is that you talk you just spoke about this sort of feeling i guess alienated because mm. there's no one mm. but i actually feel through our instagram page that it's actually becoming a, a place that's it's not toxic it's really supportive yeah. and it's and it yeah it just it's just very much like feeling like a united i don't want to say united front because it's that's not about kind of being a front. a front yeah 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 but it's about being together as one and sort of stronger together sort of vibe absolutely so yeah and I mean, that's been our experience of all of the polyamorous community that we've encountered so far. I mean, all of the guests that have mm-hmm. come on to our show have just like given their time and are happy to join us. And we're still a relatively new podcast and everyone has just been so willing to chat and share their experiences. And everyone that in the non-monogamous community we have spoken to and we continue to speak to are so just willing to spread the word and stick together and that's just really really nice to be part of and it was just really really fun like funny and a little bit like a bit satisfying when people do clap back is that what you mean well i was gonna say it was just really funny seeing all these comments being like oh yeah we 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 like that even some monogamous people being like yeah oh yeah we do this too and that's really cool um but like (laughs) i just love the fact that uh, some somebody watched this reel went into the comment section and saw all of the positivity (laughs) and thought i'm gonna make a negative comment about how this is all gonna end in tears and i'm like and i'm like uh do you do you not see just how many people are in the comment like we're talking over well well over a hundred comments now i would say 90 percent of which are saying oh yeah, we do this, this is us, we're polyamorous, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, dude, first of all... Read the room. Read the room. (laughs) Second of all, there's evidence in the comment section that you're wrong. And thirdly, yeah, because monogamous people never break up and always live happily ever after, don't they? Monogamy never ends in tears, babe. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Always 100% perfect. Definitely not 50% divorce rate. Definitely not. 
Anyway. Uh, it's yeah, it's been fun. But yeah, thanks for all being so yes. being legends. Yes, and keep on being legends. Keep on doing what I'm, you're doing. I'm sure you will be. Anyway. Um, so I have one final update to yeah. share before we get into it with our guest today. Yep. Our hardcore and long listener, long time listeners. <laughs> been listening for more than 20 weeks. Have been listening for, yeah, half the, oh, you know, however long it's been now. Nearly half a 20, year. 20, yeah. About, I feel like it's like back in episode two, episode three. Oh, it's May. I May. It's May. mentioned that I had been benched by a fellow that we called Ian. Mm. I'd like known him from a job of mine. We like were chatting and then he like didn't respond to me, added me on Instagram. I didn't respond to that. And then, I mean, it's been, I don't know. You don't really think, of, I don't necessarily really think about it. It's, it's been, been, a been a minute. And then a few days ago, <laughs> he like sent me a message on WhatsApp. Um, and he would like, it's just so weird because he would have seen all these messages he didn't respond to like months and months and months ago. It's like funny because I feel like when you withdraw your energy from someone, it's like they can almost sense it and they get back in touch. <laughs> yeah. It's like really strange. Yeah. And he messages me, which fine. And he was like, hey, Siobhan, like I'm around for a couple of days in London. If you're around, like let me know. And I just said to Rich, I was like, you'll never believe what happened. And my immediate reaction was getting excited to tell our listeners about this, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to tell everyone. But basically... I haven't responded, but it was just like, this is a classic where it's just like mine. I'm off the bench guys. Like my number's been called up. Like I've been given a start in the, on the field and this poor Ian doesn't realize that actually I've been transferred to a different team a long, long time ago. Like that transfer window, I was in it. I was gone. And it's just like made me cackle a bit. Cause I was just like, yeah, I don't know. Like I think, I can't help but think sometimes that when someone knows that you're non-monogamous, which this guy does, that again, and we can't talk about this with, like in our casual episodes, like, it is this excuse to sort of treat you a little bit differently. I mentioned before I had a recent mm-hmm. date where that person said, oh, well, I wasn't a rush to meet you because it wasn't a monogamous connection. And it's like this devaluing of non-monogamous relationships. And like, I can understand if non-monogamy isn't for you, like monogamy is not for us. But, but that person was on a date with, with you, you knowing yeah that you're non-monogamous yeah and this guy's That's like insane yeah and this guy's like you know knows i'm non-monogamous and i think he's just thinking well it's not going to be anything like meaningful or serious so like of course she's just this bisexual female non-monogamous person like, like i'll just slide in and it's not that men into my dms guys geez <laughs> slide into my dms not into anywhere else he wishes um but like i just <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just uh, that was a really that was a really clunky kind. Of <laughs> <laughs> but I just I I just am like I don't have time for that and I think actually being non-monogamous has meant that I have less time for it because I'm dating really mindfully and that is something different to when I was monogamous and dating monogamously I wasn't particularly good at dating mindfully I wasn't very good at thinking about what I wanted and and whether these people were right for me and a real benefit of non-monogamy is I've really like cleaned up my act when it comes to how I date and yeah I'm just like it's a shame that you weren't interested in seeing me months ago when I was interested in dating you Mm. um but at the same time I think like it worked out for the best well, you know? is it like we people can be disappointed about about sort of 
people who don't work out the way you expect them to. But a lot of the time, it doesn't work out because of the, their behavior or a certain point of view that maybe is a little bit ignorant or, or whatever it is. And to be honest, I the way I look at it is, oh, well, thank God they displayed that behavior because that I don't want to be with someone like that who's then going to display that behavior further down the line. Do you know what I mean? So that's, well, I mean, and that's thing. true of any relationship yeah. style. Yeah, it's so. like someone famous says this. It's like, <laughs> if someone shows you who they are believe them oh yeah yeah that's a good one like if someone's showing you what they're like trust that uh listeners if you can find out who it was and then let us know uh that'd be great <laughs> who said that <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's someone who's like quite well known because i've heard that comment thrown around a lot so yeah. it must be someone well madonna probably yeah i reckon it was madonna. she's famously wise yeah 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 so you happy know. birthday madonna 65 uh, anyway, moving on. Today? Not today, no, just recently. <laughs> <laughs> what, in the last 12 months or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was on the front of some magazine. Vogue, probably. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, um, shall we um, have a little nap again? I like, you know how I like to have naps between our intros and our guests, and then we come back feeling refreshed. Okay. Almost like we're a, a few weeks younger. let's go have a break a break a break a break and then we'll be back with sarah youngblood gregory talking to her about stuff and things and whether or not we treat people like well partners like they are needs filling machines whatever Mm. that means but keep on listening and you'll find out okay (laughs) okay you good break Okay, everyone, uh, we're thrilled to welcome today's guest. They are a journalist and writer who covers sex, queerness, disability, culture, and wellness with bylines in Vice, HuffPost, Cosmo, Refinery29, Bustle, and many, many more. Uh, they're also the author of the Polyamory Workbook, um, a new fave of ours. Um, <laughs> welcome to the show, Sarah Youngblood Gregory. <laughs> Hi, thanks. So great to be here. No worries. We're well, so great excited. To have you. So, I mean, starting with your book, really, uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you came to write this book? Um, you know, in the air, in the area of non-monogamy more generally, and um, and to be clear, you're not like an expert. You're not an expert, Which is a right? Kind of a, a kind of a label <laughs> that you <laughs> have rejected somewhat. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't um, consider myself an expert. I consider myself someone who, you know, is non-monogamous, someone who's interested professionally in writing about non-monogamy and what that can look like for different people. Um, but I definitely distance myself from the expert label because I don't think, um, you know, anyone ever really truly is an expert when it comes to relationships and when it comes to living in community and living with different people. I think um, that's something that, you know, was important to me for the, for the book to say that, you know, this is an offering um, that's coming from personal experience. That's coming from 
you know, other books that I've read, um, people that I'm interviewing, it's an offering. It's not, um, you're solid. This is how to do it. This is the only way to do it kind of thing. I, I wanted it to be <clears throat> like a jumping off point. Um, but now I forget what the original question was. It was how I got, <laughs> how I started writing yeah, the book. Yeah, just, just how, like, okay, cool. like yeah, how yeah. you came to, to write that book. Okay, like cool. Why and, yeah. Yeah, so first and foremost, I'm a journalist, um, so I write a lot about sex, relationships, culture, gender, identity, and how these things all are intertwined in people's lives and how they live their lives. Um, so it was actually interesting because I'd never had really imagined, though I'd done articles on you know, non-monogamy and polyamory and things like that, um, I never really imagined or pursued myself um, writing a book about you know, non-monogamy and polyamory. This was kind of one of those really cool instances where the universe um, handed me a really great opportunity and project. Um, the editor at Ulysses Press came to me and said, hey, I've seen some of your work. I know that you're interested in this subject, you write about it, you write around it a lot. Are you interested in doing a workbook, a polyamory workbook for people who are either new to non-monogamy, new to polyamory, or people who are already, you know, in that life and are looking for additional resources? So I said, yeah, I would be thrilled. <laughs> I would be so excited. Um, and for me, what I really liked about the book was the format and kind of the, the conception around it. It's a workbook. It's interactive. It's not um, this passive thing that people are consuming. It's something that I want people to really engage with. And, you know, I said, I think in the intro or the first chapter, too, I am hoping that people engage with this um, critically, right? Like if they don't like something that I'm saying, they're exploring it. There are structured places in the book to engage directly with what I'm saying and formulate your own ideas, your own values around relationships, non-monogamy, love, sex, all of this different kind of stuff. So that to me was one of the most exciting parts of the of the project. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. There's so many parts of it. I mean, we've been non-monogamous for 18 months now, uh, but there were some things that I mean, maybe you know about in theory, but then you write it out and you're like, oh, or like the, one of my favorites was the distinction between like rules boundaries and agreements and then boundaries and how they can often those things are all used interchangeably but actually they're also different and how you can structure those like it so it was just so helpful and so illuminating because before I read that book your book and did that exercise I was kind of throwing those all around almost in the same sentence and when you realize how different they are it was like super helpful um, to even dis to distinguish what we're doing in our relationship and what I'm doing in other relationships as well, like friendships or, you know, other non-monogamous relationships that I've got. So, I mean, I loved it. It was brilliant. Um, and, I mean, your book also provides, like, strategies and activities to help people build, like, freedom-based relationships. So I was wondering whether you could just – and you kind of talk about this a little bit in the blurb as well, but, like, how do we draw the line between, like, relationships that are freedom-based and then this perception that polyamory is this, like, free-for-all? Like, where is this line? Because sometimes I feel like the perception is that that's quite blurry if you're not in nominal – or even for people who are non-monogamous, like, how do we work that out? Yeah, I think one of the big distinctions that um, – between free-for-all and freedom – is, you know, I think it also, I think a really great um, kind of frame of reference would be how would you act if you were single versus how would you act if you were, you know, in a family or in a community or in relationships. So this idea that you have people that you are responsible to care for, um, that is the freedom piece for me versus being single, you can kind of do what you want. You're really ultimately, you know, 
accountable to yourself. I mean, that's a really broad statement, but you know what I'm kind of saying with Mm -hmm. that. Like when you're single, you know, you can see whoever you want, you can sleep with whoever you want. And really the main people that you're going to impact are yourself. And then of course the casual relationships that you have, but those feel a little bit secondary. You're operating as a single person, right? That's a bit of a free for all. With freedom-based relationships and specifically around non-monogamy and polyamory, I think understanding you have impact on other people is incredibly important. I think understanding that you have a responsibility of care towards Mm. other people and the people that are close to you and in your vicinity feels very, very important to me and that there is a level of um, risk and trust when it comes to non-monogamy. You're asking someone to trust you. You're understanding that there are risks involved, that people can get hurt, um, and that you are aware of that impact and you're going to try your best with your partners, your partner, to mitigate that harm. Um, and to behave in a responsible, um, caring, forward manner. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I am totally going to start saying that because yeah. that is a that is a that distinction is something I've struggled with when I get asked questions. I don't know how you feel about this, but when you get asked questions about your relationship, when someone finds out you're not monogamous or whatever, it's really hard to kind of articulate that. So I think I'm gonna. I'm just gonna play them this this that that answer. I'm not even gonna <laughs> yeah, bother. Just constantly have this episode <laughs> yeah. open on your phone. It's ready to go. I mean, it's, it's sort of uh, continuing in that vein of thought. Actually, something else you discuss is, the, you know, the idea that one person can't ca- can't cater uh, to all the needs of another. Uh, something we definitely agree with. Uh, something that I even I think like one of the first sort of points I raised with. Siobhan, when I came to her, was that, you know, that we shouldn't necessarily expect one person to cater to all those needs. But yeah, like, do you feel that there's a, maybe a danger that some people could approach polyamory, I guess I'm looking at this from a slightly different angle, tr- by, by trying to plug all their different needs uh, with various partners rather than sort of treating them as, uh, you know, actual relationships or actual fully fully you know fully formed relationships there's this danger there that maybe someone who is new to it might fall victim to that or fall into that trap yeah how is this a problem how can we avoid this I guess yeah I think that there can be this mentality that you know obviously no one can fill everyone's needs right like that Mm -hmm. that is a um a measured reasonable um, opinion to have about relationships, right? Yeah. But I do also think what's tricky about that is that that kind of value, right? Like I can't expect you to fulfill all my needs and vice versa. It can get translated pretty quickly into kind of a deficit mentality, right? Where, yeah. you know, so I have this person that I love, but they can't um, do X, Y, Z for me. The classic example is like a differential in libido, right? Like that is a right. lot of people's mm-hmm. Um, entryway into non-monogamy. It's sex-based, right? Like, you know, I have a high sex drive. You don't. um, You can't fill this need for me. So therefore, I have a deficit and I need to find it elsewhere. Um, Which, you know, like that's that's a fair entry point. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that that's not a fair entry point to polyamory. It is. Um, But I think the problem with with that can quickly become this deficit mindset, right? Where people become not people and relationships aren't these, you know, changing um, compromise-based relationships, but they certainly become this kind of, okay, I need a need-filling machine, not a person. Mm -hmm. I have this deficit, this deficit, this deficit, so I'm going to choose partners who will specifically fill this deficit in order to make me kind of a whole 
person, right? Where all of my buckets are full at any given moment. And that's just not realistic. Um, I think something that is a lot more realistic is to think about what needs you can provide yourself first. Um, and also to get a lot more comfortable with the idea that in some areas of life, you know, and those those areas will likely change the course of people's lives with life events and things like that. Um, we're not going to feel, our bucket is not going to feel 100% full. Our well is not going to feel 100% full 100% of the time. Um, and I think too, because I've already introduced the example of libido and sex, right? Um, I think people can often feel that other people are in charge of their sexuality, right? Like I am my most queer when I'm having sex with queer people, right? Or So it's dependent, therefore, my queerness on who I'm having sex with. Um, my ability to feel desirable is dependent on who desires me and if I find them desirable. Um, my ability to feel like my, you know, sexual needs, my libido is met, is dependent on whether or not I can access different sexual partners. Um, but I think it's really important to take ownership over you know, in this example, your sex, your sexuality, and thinking about, you know, what does it look like for me to feel dependent on myself for this need? Um, what might that look like first? And then what might that look like translating into pursuing other relationships with compatible people? Yeah, that's, uh, and do you, do you know what I find extremely interesting about this entire uh, sort of, this entire dialogue is, how just how parallel it is with the world as a whole and sort of um you know we have there's need there's the need filling machine um idea it, with this increased i guess there's an increased commodification of relationships relationships right so do you feel that there's been a shift in attitude towards relationships that are underpinned by you know, a more capitalist or more neoliberal, you know, in line with the neoliberal ideology. I mean, we're talking about how... Yeah, maybe just explain a little bit about what that might look like and if people aren't, like, familiar yeah, I mean, with it's, the term neoliberal. Well, it's obviously a complicated thing, but at the end of the day, <laughs> if, if, we, if we talk about consumerism more specifically, I think most people are familiar with the idea of consumerism and, you know, this uh, consumption-obsessed kind of society and how constant growth economically speaking is kind of the base line of modern day economics right um that a lot of that is reliant on uh purchasing power and just consume consuming um so you know even, even when it comes down to just buying anything you don't need and a lot of people attach their worth to you know which iphone they can afford or you know and you kind of touched on it there like um I feel they might feel more di more desirable if they're with someone that they desire more, if that makes sense. Or more queer if they're having or queer more, sex. Or they're more or, queer. Yeah, everything is right. defined by externalities in that in that regard, rather than looking within. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm, I guess back to the original question: like, do you <laughs> do you think there is that shift uh, in in attitudes when it comes to relationships? Do you think that? Um, there's that that the capitalism and neoliberalism has almost infiltrated in a way our relationships and made them uh, i guess in in this in that sense more unhealthy or maybe more of a commodity more maybe of, or more of a commodity in and of itself yeah yeah well i don't think that 
like capitalism right can ever be truly separated from any kind of relationship i think mm-hmm. you know i'm speaking i'm speaking as an american i'm speaking as someone from the west you know the nuclear family and capitalism you know i mean come on like that is such a <laughs> that is such a classic example of you know it is seen as very normal right and very natural quote unquote natural to Mm. want to live in a single family unit for many many people that's considered the norm and the default you know you have one man one woman two kids you live in a single family home in the suburbs I mean that's not the case for everyone Mm. um, but that is often seen as kind of the American relationship like that that is what a family looks like in the United States it's true of here Um, as well yeah in the west I think yeah yeah. definitely and I think um, you know that you can't pull that apart from capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't pull that apart from productivity. You can't pull that apart from also like white supremacy, industrialization, all of these different forces. Yeah. So I think to to say that you know any relationship you know has n- never been affected by capitalism that the infiltration is new. I think not that that's what you're saying, but I, I don't think we can really talk about relationships and, and family, marriage commitment what those values look like you know politically culturally legally without talking about um you know capitalism and money and things like that so i think in the context of polyamory um i think that and i think too kind of coming out of the pandemic where a lot of people's you know relationships and access to relationships and family changed drastically very quickly um i do see I think a, a a real excitement around polyamory, a real activation around non-monogamy, and I think some of that is again coming from a kind of deficit, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think some of it is coming from a, you know, I've just spent through really hard years and I I need more, right? I want more relationships, I want more fun, I want more love, I want it all, and that's fine. Like that is a really human reaction to that, and I think um, there's nothing wrong with that but i do think i think especially on social media too there is this kind of um you know more partners is better mentality and i think um there's not a lot of there for some people for sure but i think there's not a lot of uh, investigating on you know thinking about quality Mm. um of those relationships and what those relationships really look like and feel like versus quantity i think it looks really hot and sexy and fun to have a bajillion partners and like (laughs) them and stuff like that and going on vacation or you know what i mean and kind of all of those sexy parts those visible parts of non-monogamy and polyamory and they look great and they are desirable for a lot of people but i think what's more important is to focus on you know quality of a relationship um not hesitancy but carefulness around balancing multiple relationships because again there is the impact that it has on other people and you do i think have a responsibility to mitigate negative impact on you know your your family your partners your chosen family things like that yeah big time i mean people get surprised when i tell them that we've been open for 18 months and i've had two serious partners outside of richard and you're, I think you've had two or three or four. Are we, yeah, because we were discuss, we were literally discussing this, funnily enough. And, and like, and that doesn't mean that they're sexual partners. I'm, I yeah. mean, it means that they're sort of relationships. And it also happens the fact that they were the, also the two sexual partners I had. But I do separate those, like, you know, in terms of relationships and, and sections. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're not. Um, but people get a surprise when we're both like, oh, you know, like 
it's well, how many people have you been dating or you've got to date heaps of people and the reality is that I and this is just my experience and as you said before like it's nothing wrong with having primarily sex-based relationships but what it but what my experience sort of relates to what you're saying is that you know for a lot of non-monogamous people the relationships that we seek and that we are engaged in are really meaningful and we do take like careful steps to ensure that they're the right fit for maybe we've got a primary partner, maybe we're in a wider polycule. Like does this work for everyone that we're Mm -hmm. connected with and introducing a new person, even if it's like they don't meet rich for us, energetically there's still a new person around in my life or in Mm. Rich's life. And I don't think that – I think that there is – this idea of like this needs feeling machine, like you're going to have heaps of sex and, oh, well, to know that you're bisexual, you have to have a sex with a woman, Siobhan, because how else are you going to know, you know, which is something that I had said a lot to me. And it's just like, yeah, I'm not looking to commodify these people or turn them into like, look at how, what they can do for me, but rather what we could do for each other. And as you said, trying to add that element of responsibility that I do think sometimes is really, it's not really as prominent as what personally I would like to see in the non-monogamous discussion. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I mean, my, like my kind of advice would be... Look out. Have you given proper <laughs> advice on this show before? I don't think I have. But um, <laughs> oh, I mean, obviously everyone's different, but I, I always look at it from a fulfillment point of view. Like, do I feel fulfilled in the relationships relationships i'm having regardless of how many they are whether it's one two three four five a billion like (laughs) you know (laughs) it's 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 not about like you say it's not about quantity it's about quality and and by fulfillment i mean do i feel fulfilled and do my does my partner feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. within the relationship i have with them i obviously can't control things outside of that necessarily but um and i i would without telling people how to do it um because everyone's different I would encourage that. I would encourage thinking to yourself, am I fulfilled and do I f- is everyone else fulfilled that I can sort of have uh, a, a you know play a role in their fulfillment, I guess. Is there a parallel do you think between how capitalism and society as a whole treats the relationship and the way that we have started to treat each other? I think there can be kind of a transactional aspect to some relationships, which I don't think is inherently bad, right? Like if you go to the grocery store, you go to the cashier and then you have a a transaction, a literal transaction and also Mm. a social transaction, right? Like you're the customer, this person is, um, you know, the checkout person and there are roles there. Um, So I don't think like that's inherently bad, right? But I do think there can be a transactional relation or transactionalness to relationships when it comes to you know a classic example um my partner just got a new partner and now I need a new partner so that I can fill up Tuesdays and Thursdays when they're on date night that's Mm -hmm. that would be an example of kind of transaction right like I'm looking for my time to be filled I don't want to be lonely that's the need behind that um and so I think that is a really great example of how people might approach a new relationship, looking for something um, that's not fully developed, that's coming from kind of a fear, right? A scarcity worry versus kind of, I have this time that I want to spend with someone and I want to give someone this time and I'd like to receive some time from them and 
really get to know this person and I, I want to invest in who they are and learn about them versus I have, you know, two empty slots in my week that I need filled because I don't feel comfortable sitting by myself and feeling whatever it is that I'm feeling. Yeah. It, you know what it so reminds true. me of actually? So true. It reminds me of um, the age old depiction of uh, in monogamy, the, mono- the sort of monogamous equivalent is almost like um, the in a nuclear family setting, the husband goes out drinking with his with his bros, with his with his man friends, and then comes home um, to the grumpy wife who's like, "You never spend any time with me." You never that sort of thing. It's almost like, do you know what I mean? Like it has. There's almost a that's kind of like the monogamous equivalent. And also, of this you could kind of you like, could reverse it though as well, where maybe the the man with the man friends is not feeling fulfilled at home and so doesn't want to spend time with his wife and yeah. so then uses his mates as a, I need to, you like, guys, let's go out for a drink because he doesn't want to go home. Yeah. And, like, it could be both ways, right? Yeah. Um, and you kind of talk about this in your book a little bit, but, like, what if, if someone is feeling as though their partner's got a new partner or, I don't know, maybe they're in a monogamous relationship and they're feeling that their partner's working late or, or doing and is feeling like they need to feel less lonely, you know, fill their time up with another person. If like that doesn't, it doesn't really sound as though that's a necessarily a helpful thing to do. Like what are some of the things that in the book that you talk about that could help them kind of turn in, like have a bit of introspection and work out how they might need to handle this or how they could handle it best for themselves in the future. Yeah, I think like self-soothing <laughs> I get into in the book, which I think is really important and is kind of that first response um, to kind of those that discomfort that might come up, which is, you know, is, you know, my gut reaction to just go out and get a new partner and get a new date and fill up my time or, you know, go out, hang out with my friends because, you know, my marriage is not doing super well. So the, the escapism piece, right, like thinking about that escapism as a gut reaction and then what's kind of below that, like what are the the needs there, right? Like, do you feel scared? You know, do you need to address feeling scared? Do you need to address feeling lonely? Um, and kind of getting a little bit more comfortable with kind of those feelings that are lying underneath. Cause those are really, I think where the needs are, right? The need isn't necessarily have every single date of the week full, right? A, a full calendar is not necessarily the fix for that. It could be more just, simply getting comfortable with feeling a little uncomfortable. So the self-soothing piece, I think, goes first, thinking about kind of what are the underlying needs. And then once you're kind of in that place where you're not reeling with those gut reactions and that I got to fix it, kind of everything's on fire mentality, starting to think a little bit constructively about, you know, what would a good coping mechanism look like for me? Would it be like more time by myself where I do like a hobby, right? That feels fulfilling to me and that I can be in control of. Um, Does it look like just simply connecting with friends, right? Previous relationships that you have that feel great to you and that are um, a little historic and feel like they're um, both people are bringing things to the table, right? It's mutually supportive. Does it look like um, talking to your partner and asking for reassurances around this? So there's a lot of things that can happen before um, that kind of panic, um, I have to fix it mentality sets in that I think deserves a lot of consideration and should be something that people think about and and get a little more comfortable with too. 100%. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. And I think 
you know, I mean, I thought I made up this concept because I was like, woohoo, but I have not. <laughs> um, this concept of like revenge dating, you know, like mm-hmm. I was like, I thought I termed, I was, you know, I was, woohoo, like I think this is a new thing for me. And then I Googled it and like every <laughs> smart non-monogamous uh. person that has been doing this for longer than 18 months has like talked about this. And I was like, oh, um, but I, you know, that was a revenge dating, like quote unquote, was something that was suggested to me by people when I first said, oh, Rich is polyamorous, you know. And I considered it, obviously, because I was, like, really insecure and really unsure and super disoriented. And I'm not saying that I'm, like, the golden pillar example of what to do when your partner tells you they're non-monogamous because I'm certainly not. But I didn't date at all for the first six months except for myself. And, I mean, if anyone's listening and they're feeling this way, like, I just want to validate it. It's, like, super uncomfortable to have to really sit with yourself and I just knew that actually I wasn't going to be a very good partner because I would have been a total mess about my like nesting relationship um but I just love that you said that because it just validates how difficult it is and um but also you know often the most difficult things are going to become some of the most valuable experiences or learnings and um that's certainly my experience as well so yeah not a question I just wanted to say that um (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, we're, we're, if we're talking about mentalities, then um, <laughs> how do you think this all relates to that, this idea of the bootstrap mentality, mm. which, um, well, I mean, just like, first of all, for anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> explain what the bootstrap mentality is. Uh, because obviously we do have a bit of an international audience. Don't, don't know if yeah, you know that. We have like, um, we don't really have this term in Australia and I've yeah. not heard it as much in the UK. Um, I mean, a quick Google search explains it, but um, yeah, I guess if you could start by explaining it and then um, how this sort of, all this sort of discussion that we've had kind of can fall into that mentality as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a bootstraps mentality, which I'm excited to talk about because we <laughs> we touched on this a little bit in our intro call too. Yeah. So I'm glad that you asked about this. Um, They're so not supposed to know about that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> totally joking. No, I'm joking. Totally. We, obviously, we've spoken to yeah. <laughs> um, So the, the bootstraps mentality, it's um, very American, um, very kind of capitalist thing. And it's this expression, you know, you have to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. And one, if you've ever tried to pick yourself up from the floor from your bootstraps you'll know it's impossible which is part of what makes it so ironic but it's this idea that you have to pick yourself up it's all on you it's all on the individual and it is your um, absolute prerogative and necessity to climb right you're in charge of you it's very individualistic and in the kind of terms of capitalism it's like you're if you're bored poor you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you work your way up and if you're good enough and if you're smart enough and if you work hard enough and if you don't give up you'll become a billionaire right it's <laughs> it's very antiquated it's very not true it's very um yeah we don't blind. actually live in a meritocracy <laughs> yeah and it, it, it's very blind to right like systemic issues discrimination all of that really meaty stuff that affects so many people um and i think that it it is kind of applied to polyamory too i think it's kind of um you know infiltrated the way that we're talking about polyamory non-monogamy and just relationships in general which is that you know if if you're struggling grin and bear it pick yourself up by your bootstraps it's your responsibility if you can't hang if you can't handle it then you're failing 
and you need to work harder and do better and don't put that on anyone else because you're the only person responsible for your performance mm. in polyamory right like right. <laughs> very kind of job oriented mm. um career oriented kind of capitalist climbing orientation there and i think that um this mentality is often seen in the you're the only one responsible for your emotions mm. you're the only one responsible for your jealousy you're the only one responsible for you know your actions and what you do about them and to a certain extent certainly that is true but i think there's a denial of human nature there that is important which is that humans are communal we're interdependent inherently um, we cannot do anything on an individual basis and the idea that um, you're alone in a partnership and or in partnerships um, to deal with hardship and to, to deal with um, emotional turmoil, to deal with mental health things, to deal with physical health things is very um, inaccurate, mm. to say the least. And I think it's most often seen in this kind of um, you're the only person responsible for your emotions. And it's neglecting the fact that other people have impact on you. Other people are treating you certain ways that have an impact on you for good or for bad or for neutral change will impact you relationship changes life changes changes in where you live where you work um your health your society right these are all going to have an impact on you and the idea that you can pick yourself emotionally up by the bootstraps and just grit and bear it i think is very harsh on people mm. for at any point in their polyamorous journey i think it it narrows people's ability to seek help and to enjoy one of the parts of being non-monogamous, which is communal support, um, which is communication, which is feeling like you have an extended family that you can rely on. Yeah, that was beautifully said. Oh my actually. God, it's so true. I'm kind of uh, in a trance just listening to because <laughs> it's just like everything that you know I feel being, being vocalized and that's, mm. uh, yeah. Um, and I mean, sometimes your feelings are valid, right? Yeah. Like sometimes there is a cause for jealousy or sometimes there is a cause for insecurity or, you know, and instead of this idea that, oh, well, you, you know, if you're properly non-monogamous, if you're actually good at it, then you're not going to feel these certain things. You know, I mean, the idea that you can just like get on with it and, and move on with it and that it's all within your own, within yourself, as you say, is true to an extent, but it's just like, there is a we earlier in this like interview we talked about the responsibility of caring for your partners right so it's like those two things completely conflict with the realities of what polyamory is actually about and these sort of other ideas that can absolutely filter into it i just think mm -hmm. the uh it just reminds me of a, a sort of it reminds me of like the british equivalent which is the stiff upper lip mentality where you, you know when you're trying to you're trying to like stymie a cry mm. and oh, right, your yeah. top lip starts to quiver. It's about kind of not showing that and kind of just putting your oh. head down and getting on with it. That's where the stiff upper lip comes from. And it's a similar sort of thing. Like when things get really hard and emotional, just, just soldier on, just plow through. Don't, don't even give the emotions the time of day. And like, it just reminds me of that and how really that's a very unhealthy mentality and it doesn't, serve you and it doesn't serve future you very well 
as much as it might comfort you in the moment. I also appreciate that you said that um, it's literally impossible to pull yourself up from the bootstraps. Well, yeah, that's um, what's funny about that <laughs> particular yeah. phrasing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have an add-on question that we haven't discussed. No, sorry. Well, we've got a bit of time, so I'm <laughs> going I'm I'm to do it anyway. Um, I can be jokey too sometimes. <laughs> if we if we can uh, think about, I'm I'm going back to sort of um, feminism classes at uni. Um, oh, look out! <laughs> um we we talk about the nuclear we talked about the nuclear family uh briefly and we talked about you know how in fact we recently had a comment on uh something that uh um, like i think it was one of your articles siobhan's articles uh that said polyamory was not is not compatible with with like child rearing is what they sort of said and marriage yeah and i think i like i i'm thinking of the because a lot of what you've spoken about is related to, or it sort of reminds me of that a little bit. It also reminds me a little bit of maybe some of the better ideas that Shulamith Firestone had. She's a, she was a sort of thinker in the, I want to say 60s and 70s. And she had this idea of rather than the nuclear family, we have big communities where everyone kind of parents the children everyone kind of does this and that and everyone plays that role plays a role and, and nobody's necessarily just in you know a, a monogamous relationship everyone's kind of it's a it's not a free-for-all but it's freedom right and every, everyone's accountable to one another everyone's sort of you know I'm, I'm just interested in your thoughts on that idea like on that whole do you think that that would be effect, an effective way effective alternative to the nuclear family do you think that there's something there um, I don't know how familiar you, familiar you are with Shulamith Firestone, but she was an interesting character with some good ideas, maybe some not so good ideas. But that one, I think, has a little bit of. So you mean the idea of the communal kind of. And, and you're saying that sometimes in polyamory you can get that, where you might yes, have exactly. more than two parents or you might have yeah. more than two parental figures. And there's less emphasis on the biological and more emphasis on just. If if you've got something to offer, say a child's life or another person's life, that, um, then go for it. There's no, it's not like there's two parents and they have all the say over what happens to this child or person or whatever. Makes sense. Yes, yeah, definitely. So I think there's there's three main buckets that I would I would respond to the kind of you know polyamory isn't you know great for kids. I would say, um, <laughs> and I'll you know I'll preface this by saying I do not have children. Yeah. I will never have children. That is not um, a part of my life plan as a lesbian. Um, but I will say one, the one of the most common expressions about raising children is it takes a village. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It takes an extended network of people to raise a child. It takes you know, parents, it takes grandparents, it takes aunts and uncles, it takes cousins, siblings, teachers, um, doctors. It takes a whole village of people and all of those people bring something different to the table they bring a different set of values and expertise they're going to provide the child with a different kind of experience a different viewpoint into personhood and into adulthood and a value system all of those things so i think the idea that you know in this scenario where it's a nuclear family one mom one dad um who are heterosexual and cis um it doesn't even hold up for that family 
because there's an extended network of people who are invested <laughs> in this yeah, family, in the people involved and in, in this child. Um, two, single parents. Yeah. Single parents. I mean, come on. I'm not seeing a cultural panic about I – mean, well, let me say that there are some cultural panics around single motherhood in particular. Um, but it is a way that many, many children are raised into happy and healthy adulthood. Um, so there's that, which is a break from the nuclear family. And again, mm-hmm. often single parents are relying on their village to take care of that child. They're relying on their neighbors and their friends and their family and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then eventually they may have a blended family where there's step parents or, you know, partners involved with other children. Um, and then third, too, I want to talk about chosen family um, mm-hmm. and the queer um approach to family which is one that is not often related to blood ties or families of origin um and so you'll have people who have multiple sets of parental figures you'll have people who have you know adopted essentially brothers and sisters aunts and uncles mentors mentorship is another huge piece too so i think when we think even just a little bit critically just beginning to scratch under the surface (laughs) of the idea of what it means to raise a healthy child um it does not often look like or need to look like a nuclear family um and i think for polyamorous people who are co-parenting with you know multiple parental figures whatever that might look like it's an opportunity for a different kind of family Um, it's an opportunity for a child to have an abundance of parental figures and mentors who can provide them with different viewpoints different experiences different backgrounds Uh, also finances um, which feels pretty important for a lot of people Mm -hmm. as well so I think um, people really enjoy having a moral panic around polyamory <laughs> and children. Um, they, like, enjoy it. And I think it's that, like, for me, the obvious parallel is the panic around, like, gay parents adopting. Mm-hmm. Um, gay people even just being in the vicinity of children. There's, like, a, a level of panic there around, you know, quote-unquote, alternative lifestyles um that really is simply just um you know oftentimes homophobia queerphobia racism classism all this kind of stuff in a trench coat of i want to protect children Mm -hmm. absolutely and i mean every time i mean also i feel like just gender nonconformity at the moment is like really having its its time in terms of moral panic and you in in very I mean when it was vaccines during the pandemic it's always this idea of like we need to protect the most vulnerable and of course the natural you think young children who need adults for their survival you know it's and and you're so right it's always just like that's the that's the default um and I mean one of the leading researchers on polyamorous family and children Dr Elizabeth Sheff she um says in her work that there's unique advantages but no unique disadvantages to children having multiple parental figures so um so there everyone who (laughs) well this is exactly why i wanted to ask that question because um one i feel that there's definitely a it's definitely related to what we've been talking about but also um but also because there is this this weird misconception that it is these are new ideas when actually totally there was this lady was talking about it in the 60s and 70s and everyone back then obviously thought she was insane 
Um, <laughs> um, but but yeah, like it's it's just funny. Like it really, do, these things really do take time, and you know, and yeah. I, I think it seems more feasible now than ever. And um, and I guess your work and people like you, it's sort of helping to to introduce that idea and normalize polyamory and normalize that that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Change is slow, but yeah. the more books, the more workbooks. Um, we've actually had people write into the podcast and we've recommended your workbook because we just think like the exercises in it are so illuminating. Um, and there's some you can do. You can do it with a partner or you could just do it yourself. And like either where they're just so like versatile. and Or do um, them individually and then do them together. Oh. And see what. Any excuse to do more Yes, babe, I thought of this. All right. Well, um Okay, cool. Um, so we'll move to our game now. Let's move to our game. If that's okay. That sounds great. Yeah. Let's play. We've done okay. a good job of covering these really complicated things. Go team. I mean, I feel like we could talk for maybe we could talk for four, we could centuries. Do, we could just do a podcast on just this, really, yeah. couldn't you? Like unpacking yeah. each of these concepts, like they're so deep and detailed. Welcome to the Poly Podcast team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stay on the call afterwards, and yeah. uh, um, we'll get the paperwork to you. Um, <laughs> There isn't the paperwork. Um, <laughs> he says. Okay, so we're going to do poly quests, which we've done once which before. We've done, we've done. We've done before. Before with, at some point. Yeah. And um, basically, folks, we're going to ask Sarah three medium fire questions, <laughs> slow fire questions, um, about at your own pace. Fire questions. Yes, I like that. Um, at yeah. your own pace. It's, it's burst fire. I think I touched on this before. It's burst yeah. fire because it's just three. You know. Bang, bang, bang. Is that like a military thing or a well, gun thing? I mean, thing? anyone who's ever played first-person shooter games knows Oh, okay. That. I have not, so. <laughs> Probably just me. Um, okay, okay. okay. Well, who's gonna t- Sarah who? Youngblood Gregory, welcome to PolyQuest. You don't get any money, though, unfortunately. There is. The prize is the glory of getting through the three questions. All right. Do you want to ask the first one, babe? Okay. Go on. What is your favourite thing about being non-monogamous? Friendships. Friendships. Yeah. Deep, romantic friendships. I love that. That's cute. I love it. Oh, my God. And also, like, a few of my friends that I think I have, like, romantic connections with, like, friendships. Hmm. I like have just come to my mind and I've never described it like that before, but that is so true, you know? Yeah. I love that. Um, okay, my turn. <laughs> Sorry, I have to respond after every question. Um, okay, so uh, one piece of advice that you've got for non-monogamous folk. Uh, take your time uh, going at your own pace and developing some resiliency is much more fun in the long term than going full speed ahead from day one. So go at your own pace. Um, don't feel pressured to, to prove anything. Don't feel pressured to succeed, right? And to kind of pass all of these self-imposed expectations or markers of what real polyamory or real success looks like. I would say follow your own pace and allow genuine connections to be formed and in their own time. 
Nice. Mm. I always I like that question because it's it's obviously geared towards polyamory or non-monogamy, but um, it, you it's when you're saying it, I'm like this could also just apply to just anything, like literally anything. Yeah. yeah. The job hunt. Yeah. You know, friends, anything. It's so, like. Yeah. Yeah. Snooker. <laughs> Free kicks. Although there's a time limit there, so don't take your time. Oh, don't take your time. Um, <laughs> okay, last but not least. Uh, describe your non-monogamous experience with just three words. As Oof. best you can. I like, I it's know... As best you can. It's a yeah, hard one. At the end of the day, it's not possible. But mm. if, like, right now in this moment, you know, three words. Very fluid. I would say. Um, That's two. That's two words. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go with fluid. Fluid. Um, <laughs> unexpected. Sounds a bit like Siobhan's as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for third, I would say it's hard. There's so many. I always want to say one thing and then be like, hard, but this is hard. what I mean. I, we got hard. Um, um, <laughs> hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, third is... Um, Fulfilling, I would say. Yeah. So fluid, unexpected, and fulfilling. Yeah. Can you pick a different second word so that it's three Fs? No, <laughs> no don't. I'm joking. She's actually thinking <laughs> about I do, it. I do like alliteration, yeah. though. That, yeah. that was yeah. like yeah, going through your filing cabinet. Yeah, now I'm going through my <laughs> synonyms. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time like this has been such an interesting discussion and i feel like i've learned so much just chatting with you um over the course of our calls it's been so illuminating and um we're so lucky to bring your thoughts to our audience we're really grateful and we know they're gonna love it um would you want to just like plug all your socials and your website and the book and everywhere that people can find your work yeah so um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I have a website. My website is sarahgregory.org. You can find a lot of my work there. You can order my book, the Polyamory Workbook, um, pretty much anywhere online. A lot of people just go on Amazon, but you can also find it in person through local booksellers um, like Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Powell's, that kind of stuff. Um, what else? Uh, on Twitter, what is, can... what is the username? Sorry, yeah, you're about to say it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So on Twitter, <laughs> it's um, it's s underscore youngblood underscore g. But you can also just Google my name in Twitter, and I'll pop right up. Um, on Instagram, it's sinister dot spinster. But you can also Google my full name, Sarah Youngblood Gregory, and Instagram, and there I shall It'll be. Come up, amazing. Awesome. Um, well, go and sh- go and find all the things. Um, Sarah's website is extremely comprehensive, so like it's just like a hub of all things Sarah. So definitely go and check it out. Is your book also? Do you happen to know? Because obviously, a lot of people listen from the UK. Is it in? Well, we Wa- got it in the UK. Yeah, but we ordered it. I mean, is it in Waterstones, which is like our Barnes and Noble? Yeah, so Probably. it's it's definitely international. Like I've seen, like people have sent me pictures of it in bookstores in like Amsterdam and like oh, perfect. all over Europe. But in any kind of main bookstores, yeah. it should be there. Um, indie bookstores, they might have it, or you can ask them to stock it, which is really nice. Totally, well, to yeah, support local you, you kind always, of indie yeah. bookstores, 100%. and then of course you you can order it on online too, of course. Yeah. Awesome. Brilliant. Um, and everybody, 
you can find us on the internet as well. Please subscribe to us, rate and review. Um, we prefer five stars, so, <laughs> you know, that's just, just, just putting that out there. Share yeah. it with your network if you think someone would find this episode interesting, which most people will. Um, share it with them. It is, yes. It's so good. So good. That's my review for this episode. Um, you can also follow us on social media. Obviously, we are at poly underscore podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at our website, the poly podcast.captivate.fm. Um, and you can email us at podcastthepoly at gmail.com. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks again, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.